This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. This is Brother Craig Hummel, past Grand Master of Iowa, bringing to you Short Talk Bulletin, Volume 75, Number 6, from June 1997, Freemasonry and Democracy, Its Evolution in North America. What the world knows as the Constitutional Convention of the United States had a long prelude. Much of this was tragic. It was made possible by events long forgotten, if ever really considered. It took brave and unselfish men and women to bring it to reality. A national holiday commemorates the discovery in 1492 of a new land. What isn't celebrated are the early attempts to colonize this new world. The first known attempt was in 1585, when Sir Walter Raleigh founded a colony at Roanoke Island. What happened to the settlers is still unknown. In May 1607, 105 passengers of four ships from England landed at what became known as Jamestown in a colony called Virginia. These colonists were led by Captain John Smith. Their luck proved better than their predecessors. They survived and prospered. So much so that on July 30, 1619, representatives from each of the 11 settlements met in the first representative assembly in the New World. It adopted statutes based on English common law. Later, in 1619, they and their progeny celebrated a day of thanksgiving at Berkeley Plantations along the James River. With this success, another group of settlers set out from England for Virginia in 1620. They missed their destination and landed in what became known as Plymouth, in what would become the colony of Massachusetts. For over 150 years, these settlers continued their close ties with England. They even adopted and followed laws they had considered repressive when they fled their mother country. Actually, some of the leaders became even more audacious than were those they had left behind. This continues to the present day. Many more empathic leaders took those who would follow them to other areas and formed new colonies. One of the most notable of these was Roger Williams, who founded the colony of Rhode Island. This became the first colony to keep the political forces in a state from determining which religion should be practiced. Even as the thirteen original colonies came into being, England kept a firm grip on them. The citizens of this new world appeared to be evenly divided in their allegiance to the government overseas and to their leaders who were advocating more freedom from England's rule. In spite of their feelings, however, the colonists fought alongside the British during the French and Indian Wars. It was during this period, 1670 to 1759, that Freemasonry seriously came to North America. English, Irish, and Scottish military lodges brought it with them. Its concepts slowly caught on with the thinking men in the colonies. Its firm belief in the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God found fertile ground in those who believed in the freedom of man. This would become evident within the next several years. The philosophies of the various colonies and their leadership became more varied as the years went by. 
In each of them, there was a faction that considered the acts of the king and parliament in England repressive. This group argued for independence. The other wanted things to continue as they were. This loyalty to England was particularly true of many in the New England colonies. They had become an important and prosperous trading center. The ports in New England thrived because all shipping had to be handled in English vessels. In addition, the colonists were forbidden by England to do any manufacturing. Raw goods had to be shipped to Britain for that purpose. These restrictive acts were accepted, although in many cases reluctantly, by the colonies. But England, deeply in debt, demanded more and more from the struggling colonists. The restraints on manufacturing were tightened, and taxes were increased. When a writ of assistance was enacted by Parliament in 1761, rebellion was imminent. This writ gave the Crown the right to search any home or business in the colonies. James Otis, the general advocate of Massachusetts, a member of St. John's Lodge, refused to enforce the writ. In Fanuli Hall in Boston, he encouraged the colonists to breast any storm of ministerial vengeance that their resistance might cause. He concluded his five-hour speech by saying, To my dying day will I oppose, with all the power and faculties God has given me, all such instruments of slavery on the one hand, and villainy on the other. He then handed the general advocate his resignation. British troops were sent to Massachusetts to enforce the taxes. Along with them came a quartering act, forcing the inhabitants to provide housing for the soldiers. Then came the Stamp Act in 1765. This caused several reactions. The group known as the Sons of Liberty was born. Many ladies in Rhode Island determined to ignore the intentions of any man supporting the Stamp Act. Virginia adopted the Virginia Resolves. The circulation of the Resolves brought mixed reactions. New Yorkers considered them too treasonous to publish. New Englanders were pleasantly surprised because they had considered Virginia the most loyal of the Loyalist colonies. Parliament quickly dissolved the Stamp Act, not because of sympathy for the colonists, but because of the English merchants. Their business declined drastically. The king fired the prime minister, and through a series of events, Charles Townsend became the power in the government. The acts he forced into enactment in 1767 enraged the colonists. His action in forcing through these laws, along with previous suppressive acts, and others that would follow, would be vividly recalled 20 years later in Philadelphia. All the soldiers from Britain weren't advocates of the acts of their politicians. In 1768, Dr. Joseph Warren, master of St. Andrew's Lodge in Boston, worked with three military lodges in the British forces to form a Grand Lodge for the Ancients in Massachusetts. Warren was appointed Provincial Grand Master by the Grand Lodge of Scotland on May 30, 1769. The Townsend Acts were partially abolished in 1770. The crisis was diminished. Then, in June 1772, the British custom schooner Gaspy ran aground near Providence. About 150 Rhode Islanders boarded her and burned her to the waterline. It would no longer interfere with the smuggling trade, but taxes and repression grew worse. Among them was a three-penny tax placed on tea by the short-sighted crown. Tempers flared, especially in Boston. They reached a crescendo on the night of December 16, 1773. From the Green Dragon Tavern, 
home of St. Andrew's Masonic Lodge and the Sons of Liberty and other places, Mohawk Indians tramped. They boarded the East India ships, tossing 342 chests overboard, turning the harbor into a giant teapot. It has been highly publicized that the minutes of St. Andrew's Lodge ended with a large T, and it didn't hold a meeting because not enough members were present. Actually, the minutes ended with a scroll mark, in no way distinguishable as any letter of a known alphabet. The port of Boston was closed by the British. The news of the Boston Tea Party and the repression by England spread throughout the colonies. They began to train for war in earnest. A group of volunteers called the Minutemen was born. Men were chosen to meet in what would be called the First Continental Congress. This Congress began its meetings in Philadelphia on September 5, 1774, with Peyton Randolph, a Virginia Freemason, as its president. In England, Edmund Burke, a Freemason, pleaded with the Parliament to stop its repressive taxation and work for a peaceful settlement. He was ignored. Lord Dunsmore suspended the Virginia Assembly, and it moved to Richmond, where it met in St. John's Church on March 23, 1775. There, Patrick Henry, not a Freemason, made his Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech. A provincial congress in Massachusetts adopted 53 Articles of War on April 5, 1775. The British General Thomas Gage marched on Concord to destroy what his spies informed him was a large store of military supplies. Bostonians were expecting some such move. When it was made, a signal was flashed from the Old North Church by a Freemason. This sent Paul Revere, a member of St. Andrew's Lodge, and others, to warn the citizens. At dawn on April 19, 1775, the British force of 700 troops arrived at Lexington, where they found a band of militia blocking their passage. Someone fired, but who is still unknown. Ten Minutemen were killed. The British marched to Concord. War had begun. Volunteers arrived in Boston to form a ring around the town. Ethan Allen and Benedict Arnold, a Freemason, with a force of militia seized the British forts at Ticonderoga and Crown Point. The Second Continental Congress began meeting on May 10, 1775, in Philadelphia. On July 15, George Washington, a Freemason from Virginia, was elected Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Forces. Without question, he was the logical man for the position. Events would prove this beyond a doubt. He immediately left for Boston, where the Battle of Bunker Hill, really Breed's Hill, was fought, and where Joseph Warren was killed, fighting for the Patriots. What happened next has been covered at length, but problems with the Congresses had and have often been glossed over. The Articles of Confederation proved ineffective. It was clear that these had to be revised if the United States was to survive. Wisely, for a change, the Congress called for a convention to propose necessary changes. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions. 
and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.